As our society continues to unveil fractures within its social and political systems, the show, Align Traced, aims to examine topics that are immediate, pressing, and impact the built environment in ways that require urgent architectural responses. A podcast by RAA at the Architectural Association. Hi, my name is Maria Putri, and together with Ferial Masood and Odtolo here at the AA, we will be presenting a four-part series on the question of how colonial structures and mechanisms extend into the modern day in supposedly decolonized states. We've decided to focus on our respective contexts. In the previous episode, Feria looked at Egypt and Odd looked at Burkina Faso. Today's episode on Indonesia will look at another form of debt, the act of disseminating building knowledge as a form of epistemic imposition. We will be going back in time to revisit Indonesian colonial history to unpack the ways in which systems of knowledge were imposed through new ways of building, generated by a capitalist ideology brought into the cap- archipelago by Dutch colonial forces in the beginning of the 20th century. In this episode, we will learn how utilitarian logic works in parallel with labor productivity in colonization. We will zoom into the architectural scale to learn about the methods of cross-appropriation between the Dutch through a highly rationalized type of knowledge known as the epistem, and the Javanese through metis, a type of knowledge that cannot be structured and is learned through embodied experience. It is through this reading operation that epistemic imposition takes place. But to what extent did it succeed? How did Javanese building practice, otherwise known as metis, prevail? And how did it struggle and is struggling to survive? How are we still facing the remnants of the colonial epistem 350 years later, And what are our possibilities and agencies to counteract the seemingly impenetrable forces? We are joined today by David Hutama. David is an architecture historian and educator in Indonesia. He served as co-curator for the Indonesian Pavilion at the 14th and 16th Venice Architecture Biennale in 2014 and 2018. David graduated from the PhD program at the A School of Architecture in 2021 And from 2018 to 2020, he held the position of Affiliated Research Fellow at the KITLV, the Royal Netherlands Institute of Southeast Asian and Caribbean Studies in Leiden, the Netherlands. Currently, he is the Managing Director of Nanun Ruang, an open education platform for architecture and design in Indonesia. With David, we will be zooming in closely to examine the tools and methods used as part of epistemic imposition, such as units of measurements, Cartesian geometry, and forms of classification, such as miniaturization, as a way to reduce and simplify the complexity of indigenous knowledge. We will also be learning about the ways in which such impositions, to a degree, had failed due to the resilience of Javanese building practice. By understanding these mechanisms in depth, we can critically think about the ways in which it is sustained to possibly reverse such utilitarian logics and rethink of new standards through rereading and redrawing to possibly envision a new form of currency. Hi, David. Thanks for coming today. It's such an honor to have you here. Um, to begin with, maybe we can unpack a few key terminologies that are quite prominent in your research. Uh, you describe epistemic imposition as a reactional attempt in comprehending the illegibility of indigenous knowledge. So maybe could you elaborate on the terms epistem, cross-appropriation, imposition, ingenuer, craftsman, and metis, as you described in your book? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me for this podcast. Uh, yeah, It's been my pleasure. I mean, if you can contribute something to this program, it's okay. So, uh, well, regarding the terms of uh, 
that I use in the in the book. Actually, I mean, I, I describe that in the book uh, one by one. But I just uh, well, maybe uh, I don't want to go to detail about that. But my the idea of I mean, the term epistema is uh, refers to um, uh, to a concept that is introduced by James C. Scott um, mm-hmm. in in where I mean. Uh, in which he defined epistemism as a as a as a type of knowledge that is so structured, uh, rationalized, uh, and systematic. So, and uh, according to James C. Scott, I mean, the epistema is actually um, something that is generated by capitalism ideology. So, according to James C. Scott, I mean. This capitalization or capital, this uh, capitalistic nature, uh, one of the characteristics is try. I mean, they try to rationalize and quantify everything. So, in terms of tech, in terms of knowledge, I mean, episteme is one of the. I mean, one of the example of the how capitalist capitalism uh, shape you know, our knowledge by uh, using episteme. So. Uh, in my study, I use this uh, term to elaborate what happened in uh, in the Dutch East Indies. I mean, uh, the, the former name of Indonesia in the 19th century. I mean, how I mean the Dutch colonization uh, impact. I mean, pro, I mean they 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 shape. Uh, the education of building practice and architecture, I mean, by imposing their knowledge, their way of uh, practice uh, in uh, in the existing building practice that we had. So that's actually the the idea of uh, epistemic imposition in my study. Mm. Could we maybe zoom into how the technicalities of these knowledge transfers? You talk about um, uh, epistemic imposition as uh, a rational form of knowledge. Yep. So how how was indigenous knowledge in this case the Javanese uh, Javanese building practice? How was it reduced or simplified? Yeah. Well, thank you for mentioning about Javanese because. Yes, of course. I mean, uh, it is. I mean, it is uh, too ambitious to say that my study uh, cover all. I mean, Indonesia in terms of region. So the in yeah. the study, I mean, I'm, I'm also only focused on uh, on uh, what happens in Java, one of the small uh, major island in Indonesia, and uh, and. Uh, what I try to elaborate in the study is actually how this epistemic imposition happened to the Japanese building practice. So, like you said, I mean the way uh, the way I mean the 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 method that the Dutch uh, implemented with this what you call as a knowledge transfer is actually through schools through education. But uh, this is actually not really the 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 original intention because. Before 19th century, the Dutch in Indonesia was not as a colonizer, but they were traders. So mm. they didn't have any plan, any programs to develop the this you know the Dutch East Indies, the colony. I mean, it only happened after the VOC, the Dutch East 
I mean, the Dutch is trading trading company bank. Uh, they went bankrupt, and then the government, the Dutch government, took over, and then started with that. And they it also took another hundred years. So I mean, they because the VOC went bankrupt in 1800, and then so since 18 around 1802, the Dutch uh, took over the colony. I mean, the this region, the this trading region, into their colony. So and then, but nothing happened. Like around 100 years, not until 1902, until the Dutch government pronounced what we know as an ethical policy, uh, they started these programs, and uh, well, which basically uh, intended to develop the colony, the Dutch East Indies, as their second home. So because of this initiative, they, you know, they uh, allow, I mean, Dutch families to you know, to travel to the Dutch East Indies, stay there, you know, start up their business, and so on and so forth. So the development happened. And because of that, they need infrastructure. They need to develop the Dutch East Indies. And consequently, I mean, engineers came, architects came, they started their businesses and then the Dutch East Indies. So because of this, you know, sort of industrialization, I mean, uh, the demand of having, you know, let's say a specialized layman or, you know, a technical or specialist to help these architects, these engineers in, on the field beca- became more and more important. And the Dutch realized that, you know, there were a discrepancy of knowledge and proficiency between the Japanese, you know, and and them. So, so yeah, education. I mean, I mean, like a training, trainings were needed. So the the epistemic imposition started with schools. Mm. Um. Ah. Uh, yes. Schools. You talk about the migration of technical knowledge yes. uh, in your book and the founding of the uh, Institute of Technology in Bandung. Yeah. And I was just wondering how. Um, Maybe we can get into the technicalities of uh, the tools and methods that were used in order to render what was illegible, legible. Like um, you mentioned Metis in your book. Um, how did that compete with uh, the epistem? Um, and, and at the same time, how did it prevail and in a sense resist the methods of imposition? Yeah, well, uh, actually, I don't really discuss about Mattis uh, uh, deeply in the book, but I mention Mattis just to uh, position a different kind of knowledge, you know, that, uh, uh, let's say, proliferated in the colony at that time. I mean, the epistemic is kind of knowledge that uh, the Dutch uh, was promoting to their schools, training centers, and so on and so forth. So epistema is another kind of knowledge that also introduced by James C. Scott um, as a knowledge that was not structured, that is not systematic, and but it it and and it only could be in only can could be learned through experience. So it's it's something that you can learn by uh doing it uh, experience, uh, ha- uh having experience about 
doing things, making things. And after you know a period of time, you will you gain knowledge, you gain expertise on, on doing that. Uh, it's kind of knowledge according to James Scott is actually uh, uh, a knowledge that that can be seen in any uh, traditional or vernacular knowledge. I mean, mm-hmm. in, especially in the building practice. So because maybe they I mean like the way they you know make uh, building houses, the way they uh, cutting woods or, or maybe you know I mean join the joineries and so on and so forth. Maybe they I mean this traditional technique or knowledge they do not have like a precise or systematic explanation about how they do that, but it works and it works well in the environment. So. So I use Mathis just to uh, set up a position of this, you know, another knowledge. For instance, like in this case, the Japanese knowledge. So the Japanese knowledge, the Japanese building practice, I mean, they have another knowledge, which is Mathis. And then this kind of knowledge that actually being imposed by, you know, the Dutch, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, building, you know, you know the, the, the building method or building knowledge that they, 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 I mean, they they taught in in schools. So I mean, about the method. Actually, what what is interesting in the the discussion about education is we was um, well, I would say one of the most important discussion in the 1920s, yeah, around 1920s in Dutch Indies. Not because uh, they found something or they had a good method of doing it, but because they were confused. I mean, the Dutch mm. explored things. They were experiment. I mean, they they did a lot of experimentation about how to, you know, to transfer the knowledge to these Japanese. Yeah, of course, they they didn't think about uh, imposing their knowledge, but they the way they thought about this idea is actually to help the Japanese to uh, for helping them developing the col- the colony. So the discussion in the 1920s, which I mean, we could read in in the journals. I mean, uh, in the journals that was that that were published in the 1920s, there were a lot of discussion among architects, architect, I mean, and architect educators about uh, educators about about how should we uh, develop, you know, building practice knowledge in Java in the colony. I mean, because it will it have it had to be different from the one that they had in the Netherlands because the climate was different, because the, the region was different, the, you know, the, the geography was different. So, so that kind of discussion uh, happened. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, why, I mean, in the, in the, in the chapters that you mentioned, migration of technical knowledge, actually the intention of the chapter is to show this discussion, the discourse about, about how, the Dutch need to uh, transfer the knowledge, and what was the obstacles? What was the challenges, and h- how they attempt to do that? So that what happened, and uh, so it uh, so it wasn't the Soviet actually until now. Well, I mean, Indonesia, we still experience. I think we still experience this. Well, let's say this uh, remnants of experimentation. You know. Mm-hmm. Because this 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 attempts to to solve how to teach the uh, building, yeah. you know, this building practice in the Dutch in in the colony is wasn't really solved yet, and even until the you know the 
the independence of Indonesia in 1945. So, I mean, until now, there are still remnants of that, of we are still finding the best way of, you know, practicing architecture, the best way of mm. learning architecture, and so on and so forth. Interesting. Um, going back to Metis, I love what Senate said uh, in the book that you mentioned about craftsmanship not being a skill but a state of mind. Could you explain how craftsmen move? Um, uh, it is a different way of knowing and being in a sense. So how do they move back and forth between tacit knowledge and self-conscious awareness? Yeah, I think why I, I think I refer to Senat about, uh, especially about his concept on craftsmanship or craftsmen uh, because it is parallel to what James Scott also uh, explained about the methods Uh, in which math is, is a holistic knowledge. It can it cannot be structured in a sense of like epistemic epistemic does. I mean, like the the one knowledge can be divided or can be uh, compartmentalized into some subjects. I mean, when we are talking about math, it's always singular. It's always one knowledge, but it is cover many things. So. I mean, the way Senate explained about fragments also in, I think, parallels, is parallels to that kind of knowledge. Uh, so in, in for, for Senate, craftsmanship is a, a state of mind, something that someone acquires through, I mean, their experience of doing things. So it happens unconsciously, but it also mm, intuitively. happens in a holistic manner. It's not something that you can remember and then practice one by one, but you just do this thing in you know repetitively repetitively and in in a period of time until to what extent you become i mean this knowledge this skill become part of you you cannot you cannot ex- separate between you and the skill because it's it's part of you right uh, that is super interesting so in a sense Um, this process, uh, it is very much an embodied experience. Yeah, yeah. Would you so, say? I mean, so in my study, I, I explain like this kind of knowledge methods in the Japanese building practice because the way Japanese uh, build buildings is not for the sake of building a house or building or, you know, a mosque or palace or whatever. But the way they build buildings actually as part of their everyday life practice That's why I mean, they do not separate between buildings and maybe you know having wedding ceremony or maybe you know, uh, yeah, I mean like maybe like uh, 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 to calculate when when uh, they need to harvest the the paddy fields. I mean, it it, it I mean the, all this practice is uh, connected and interrelated. Uh, so I mean. So that that's actually, uh, I mean, uh, how the Japanese embodied this knowledge. I mean, so that's this one thing that's, I mean, if you go to the, the next chapter about the, I think about the architectural discourse, then maybe you, I mean, you you will find you will find that there's one chapter, one section that I discuss about how one does architect Maclean Pond. They he he tried to, you know, kind of cherry pick the knowledge. They do they he did. It, He didn't want to really understand the whole knowledge, the whole concept of a Japanese building practice, but he only interested to one aspect of it about the structure. Mm. So that's why I mean before before uh, 
so um, before that, I mean, so Michael Pond published one article. I mean, and this article was very famous even until now. I mean, the the title is Japanese Architecture, and actually this is the first time Japanese building practice was uh, introduced as a Japanese architecture. Right. So before that, it didn't exist as no, Japanese no, it architecture. Didn't, it didn't exist. There was no entity called no, Japanese as, architecture. Uh, yeah, as you know, there's no entity as in Japanese architecture. And mm-hmm. the way ja- the Macklin Pond uh, defined Japanese architecture is actually very literal. I mean, like architecture is about technique, it's about structure, it's about technicality, it's about joineries. So and mm-hmm. that's only structural analysis uh, and, so and, that, and only on that specific subject, he described and elaborated this Japanese building practice. So, I mean, so this is also another uh, contradiction. I mean, like, you know, what, I mean, also another example of the of the imposition where the, the architect try to impose their understanding about architecture onto something that actually they didn't understand at the moment. Right. Going back to what you said about um, how there is still remnants of uh, this kind of way of seeing um, or perceiving through the methods and skills and tools learned. Um, For example, uh, things like structural analysis um, or the units of measurement use or um, things like Cartesian geometry. I mean, these are things that we passively consume uh, in architecture education itself. Um, so how do we engage critically with that? I mean, in a sense, like you can't really de- detach. I mean, that is the f- way of making uh, that has been instilled um for like the longest time ever. Yeah. Well, that's the power of capitalism. I think we cannot escape from it. <laughs> that's just a reality. I mean, because like, I, because that's also the point that James C. Scott also mentioned in the book that Mattis, even though, I mean, we we uh, we acknowledge, I mean, he acknowledged that there's another kind of knowledge there of there. And that this knowledge probably is actually good, you know, because, because epistema tends to, I mean, one of the characteristics of epistema because it's, it tries to structure everything. At the same time, when you structure everything, there always be something left out of your understanding, you know, because you cannot really structure everything. Yes. There's always something that miss. So actually the way, I mean, so, epi, so math is actually the best way of learning something because you learn, because you learn, learn by doing it, by observing something, in a you know period of time so you there there is no missing knowledge so to speak you know because everything just happened at the same time so you embodied all the things in you know in your mind and you reflect on it and then you try to construct your your own knowledge about something but the problem is according to James C. Scott, in this current world where, you know, everything is so rationalized, everything is so structured, everything is so quantifiable. I mean, we have to quantify everything, right? Right. It is very difficult to, 
a defense methods. Mm. So, so like like uh, so going back to your question about the measurement, that's also one of example about how 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 difficult to defend methods because the, this unit measurement like you know metric imperial is actually a part of the epistemology. We are imposed by them, you know, mm. because we need to use it because it's already used everywhere. So in a sense, yes, like another is 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 is, is like an, a language, you know, of uh, of the of, uh, of the technicality. If we are talking about techniques, if we are talking about engineering, then there's no way. I mean, we cannot escape of the of using this unit of measurements, um, and. And math, I mean the the the, the vulnerability of math is, is because of this because it is so unique it is so local. So I mean I mean in this world that is everything well let's say the the global nature of the the world right now which needs uh, uh, a common ground to communicate one or another uh, math is couldn't could not do that because could not prevail yeah because math is, is very local very specific very unique. So that's the the well. I don't know whether we can call it as a handicap, but that's the situation of the methods. That's why I mean, James Scott in the book, he always also say that, that he he thinks that methods will extinct. No, because there's because if we, I mean, because the only way to maintain methods and to keep methods, let's say, sustainable, is to isolate, you know the environment that practice math is from the capitalistic you know, nature of the you know uh of the world i mean mm-hmm. so to speak so yeah right. i mean that's kind of the 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 the, the irony of this uh, situation um could you could you relate that back to how uh the dutch in the beginning of the 20th century um Impose a capitalist economy through uh, the labor of productivity. You, uh, yeah, which is related to what you recently just said about um, all of these methods and tools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first thing, of course, the uh, from the the one subject you just mentioned about the unit measurement. Of course, the unit measurement is one of the tools that they introduce. Uh, I mean, to the to this Japanese. Right, mm-hmm. and then so, and then it's already imposed the the way Japanese understood about size and dimension, because at the time the way they measure things not not using matrix, not using imperial system, they use their own body parts to measure things. So that's the, the first imposition that happened. Secondly, actually, to drawings, I mean the way of drawing things, right. Because I mean, like, because the engineers, I mean, the Dutch engineers, they use drawing to communicate, to build things as a manual of to build things. So, and in order to to I mean to you know to enable these Japanese helping them, they they need to learn to read drawings and they need to learn to draw, right? So drawing is actually another tools that is um, uh, that was used by the Dutch to you know. Uh, I mean, this is another imposition that happened, and um, and and actually the Dutch learned from the the British because in their many accounts that also that describe that the Dutch really um, refer 
to how the British did, you know, this colonization in the India and they, they were calling the dots. It was a successful project. And then, yeah, so, and drawing, because drawing really, I mean, the way you, when you learn drawing, I mean, I mean, is uh, you also actually learn to structure things, you know, right? You learn about orientation. You learn about which one that we think is the top, which one that we think is the bottom, you know, and the sides and so on and so forth, which probably this kind of concept of orientation, um, you know, they they just do not exist in the in the you know in some other part of the culture. So and the the third, I think the third uh, imposition that happened in the schools was uh, the lesson about geometry and mathematics. So yeah, of course, geometry at the time is actually part of the mathematics, right? Because you structure shape and form according to a certain shape or form, and then based on the shape of forms and you know you learn how to rationalize the form mm. and this shape yep. and form so yeah i mean so these three subjects was actually the main subject that you could find in any schools in the dutch indies back then i mean in maybe in a you know technical schools which actually equivalent to the high schools or probably in a technical college these three subjects you will you will find it. I mean, I think these three subjects were, were, you know, kind of a back, the backbone of the, you know, of this uh, epistemic imposition at the mm. time. And that is, and that is part of what you mentioned as high modernist ideology. If... Well, that term is, uh, uh, yeah, I, again, I borrow that term from James Scott. I mean, so James Scott using that, High modern technology to explain of a you know a, a modernist ideology or some or yeah a modernist ideology that uh, how to say this that is uh, being utilized by a capitalistic uh, enterprise you know so I mean like. Basically, this is just a, a, a way, you know, of capitalism uh, spread, you know, I mean, spreading their wings in one place. But the society, the people, which, I mean, who is doing that, they they believe that they they do this rationalization, structuralization, I mean, you know, quantification as part as bringing something new bringing something innovative. So, and they believe that by introducing something innovation by, you know, the systematic structure things, uh, it will bring something good to the place. Uh, this kind of uh, ideology, what, you know, James Scott say, uh, you know, defined as the high modernist ideology. Mm. Um, interesting. I actually wanted to go back to um, this act of drawing. So in a sense, by drawing, um, you already reduce the complexity of what you observe exactly. by simplifying it yeah. by the act of drawing. Yes, I'm. I mean, but we do that daily in uh, when we're working in our projects. Um, so going back to 
like how are how can we resist these modes <laughs> or maybe there isn't a way um how can we go back to uh craft as an embodied experience how do we cultivate that in a sense you're you're asking as a student or you're asking as a person that you as a student <laughs> as a student well, in my own uh, education to go to another school no system well yeah because i mean this is a well this is an ideology i mean you mm. you know kind of, i mean if you are if, as a student if you are as you are a student in a school that is not practicing that ideology then i mean how can you resist that i mean you couldn't resist that unless you escape from it okay. right but okay let's but if you're asking as a well let's say as a as a person i mean if, you, if we are we we live in a world that everywhere practicing this kind of uh, you know yeah epistemology so to speak right so how can we resist that yeah i mean that I well actually I don't know I don't know the exact answer I mean or maybe the uh, you know good answer about that but what I have in mind is about this isolate I mean I I don't know I mean probably we cannot you know mm. maybe the best we I can- mean do you yourself still practice in that way I mean as an educator yourself you yeah I think what we can do is try to find the the middle ground about about that i mean and on which part or to what extent we need to be structure you know structure and to what extent we we need to give space to our you know kind of uh, uh intuition and observation and you know to learn when by i mean when we learn things uh, and we need to also embrace the possibility that there are things that cannot be explained you know at right. this time and then there are also other things that probably uh we acquired but we cannot explain it i mean but there are things that also as important as things that we can explain at that time so i mean uh that's i think that the one way that i you know i have in mind right now about that about how we can practice mathis so to speak in the uh, in, in the current situation by allowing ourselves you know embracing ourselves to this kind of uh, process of learning you know because like one thing that probably we can resist is actually about the we can resist maybe we can resist about the concept of uh time frame in education like is it only for four years five years six years and then because that's actually one i mean that's the the epistemic thing you need to acquire this kind of knowledge in a per- one period of time you know and then and then according to them it is doable because it is structured in such a way and 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 it is systematized in such a way so you could you could you know achieve you that knowledge in that period of time but I mean I think that's that that kind of concept we can uh, we can resist because if we can say to ourselves that no it doesn't have to be four years it have to be five years if I will I will I will stop when I feel that I I have enough about this knowledge if I if I if I feel that I acquire this knowledge then yes I will stop and then 
I think I think one example uh, where this uh, I mean practice is still practice. I mean, it's still being practiced is in Japan. I mean, because right now I know. I mean, there are still people, young people, that uh, they they I mean they they practice. I mean, for instance, I mean, okay, I'll just tell you the story of my friends. I mean, he wants to be a baker. You know, right, right now he just wants to be a baker. And then, so what? But he, he has an architecture degree. No, no. I mean, he just graduated okay. from high school, and then he said to ah, his okay, friends, okay. "And then, you know, I want to be a baker. I want to be a right. professional baker." <laughs> and then in Japan, this, I mean, it, this kind of thing is not, uh, you know, uh, is not uh, undignified, so to speak. You know, it is just right. another profession. So what right. he's doing right now, he, you know, he, he's exploring Japan just to find one master of baker. He's trying to find one master baker, and then he will. When he found one, he wants to apply to this baker to be his intern. You know, right? An apprenticeship. An apprenticeship, and that's it. And then in Japan, when we call an apprenticeship, it's not like in you know maybe in a Western world where you got paid or you got salary. No, because when because and and this apprentice, I mean, I mean, like this my this friend, my friend, he already understand that when. When someone accept me as his apprentice, I'm already so grateful. Yeah, it's already right. so much. I mean, you know. So because the this master will accept you as you know as the as part of his family. I mean, he right. will provide you you know place to live. He will provide you right. food. But at the same time, as an exchange, well, actually not as an exchange, but as part of the training. Well, yeah, he will. My friend will help him. In a day-to-day basis, and then observing what this master is doing in every day basis, you know, and then after to you know a period of time, this master will tell him. I mean, this is a common practice in Japan. The master will tell him that okay, you know enough, you master all my knowledge and my skills. So it's up to you whether you want to stay here and to be my you know my successor of this of my shop, or you want to you know to leave and start your own journey. Right, so in a, in a sense, it's less transactional. That's um, one thing, and second is right. about time frame. There is no time frame mm. because this kind so you of can, you know apprenticeship can 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 last like even yeah it can be as fast as two years can be last like ten years we don't know, right? It depends. But but this mindset. Why I mean, you know, like in Japan, in Japan, these Japanese they do not really feel problematic with the situation because they understand that what I will have by doing this apprenticeship is actually a very valuable lesson and skills that even mm-hmm. I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to pay it with money. So for for them, that was, you know, that's that is fair enough. And then even mm-hmm. they 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 will be grateful because the master I mean they will not accept everyone as their apprentice. Mm-hmm. So I mean this kind of concept that probably we can still practice even though it's difficult but it's still doable. I mean the concept of time frame. Right. And how would you how would that work in um, Indonesia, for example? You mean uh, in what in where? I mean in the education in the school. Uh, in education 
Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, the remnants of the experimentation that is that is started by the it dog still exists. And, yeah, it still exists. I mean, we are still finding our way. I mean, because we understand. I mean, we understand that this kind of situation. I mean, this math is is still also happening in the traditional community. I mean, throughout mm-hmm. Asia, but at the same time, you know, the we learn or we study things through formal education which you know, uh, follow, maybe not 100%, but uh, by the Dutch tradition. So this kind of, uh, you know, conversation between the Dutch and, uh, you know, the Dutch tradition, or maybe let's say the episteme and the methods is still going on. Mm. But as a, as a Javanese myself, not that I've lived in a Javanese compound house, there are traditions that, you want to negotiate like um for example this is less to do with structure but for example spatial arrangement like the division of labor uh in a javanese compound house for example or interestingly in west sumatra how um <clears throat> gender binaries are reinforced within the house itself as uh, it f- It follows, I mean, I know you talk about Java specifically, but I recently found out how the West Sumatran longhouse actually follows the biology, runs on the biological time of the woman's reproductive system. That itself is something that should be negotiated, should be. um, What what do you mean we negotiated here? Not negotiated, but... um, um, because that has to uh, that has to do with the uh, the body's agency in in the context of uh, West Sumatra, um, uh, the woman's body does not belong the the body does not belong to the woman but the house itself. In these kinds of uh, typologies, um, where you know the discussion is not just about the tectonics or the structure, but the actual. S- the way bodies move in space itself like that is something that i myself would like to yeah. change or negotiate yeah. i think i think every ethnics has their own um let's say uh foundational perspective so to speak in their everyday life in, in everyday you know practice for instance like the western yeah. era where women is so is women is highly celebrated as something that is you know prominent they are women is a it is a is a is the high it, well i think in west sumatra women uh is positioned as the highest rank in the community right i mean right. But are, however how that is true it is a matriline but at the same time if you look at the spatial arrangement of the sumatran longhouse it's um uh like occupying space is based on a woman's reproductive readiness. Yeah. So that contradicts how the woman is celebrated because they don't have uh, as Let much me. political agency. But how? how as, why, why? Why do you think it is contradictory? Because I think it is. Uh, it is not contradiction. I mean, uh, because I think when uh, when the concept, I mean, the kind of uh, women of reproduction, it is. I mean, uh, let's say implemented in the in a special arrangement in the house. It's also meaning that they uh, they position women as the agency of fertility in a in a in a in a very in a in a very high position. 
in the community. But that's but at the same time, that's problematic because then women are subject to the tyrannies of biology. Uh, for the that's the like, for, that's the modern perspective. That's a different perspective. For for the functioning and. Uh, rep- for the continuation of the West Sumatran society, we are not just biological vessels um, in that sense. Yeah, but that's the different perspective because that, I mean, because you are imposing that what we have, what is happening right now, actually, you are epistemic, you are epistemic positioning the, <laughs> the West, the West Sumatra uh, Matis knowledge. Hmm. Now, because what happens is like this. It is the way. I mean, we can we can uh, use another example to explain to to illustrate this situation. If you still remember, like maybe ten years ago, there was a case where So Fujimoto in Japan was accused by European. I mean, a lot of architects around the world that he abused his interns, right? You know, because he didn't pay the intern. No, but this is a loss. This is an example of loss of uh, loss. A loss of translation about the culture. I mean, like this, because what happened in Sofujimoto is he was practicing apprenticeship concept. Mm. Students came to him to learn, and then for him, I mean, when he opened his office, I mean, he actually he needs to spend his time to teach his student. He actually he gains nothing with that, and that same things that happened with the baker, the you know timber. You know, I mean, uh, the carpenter and in another profession in Japan. If you want to be a master of one profession and you go to them to be the apprentice, then that what happened. You know, but if you see this from capitalist uh, from the capitalistic perspective, what happened is it is you know, well, uh, uh, it's an abuse, a labor abuse mm. because right, right, because. You ask them to work for you, but you you don't pay them. So I mean, what happened is just a different perspective that we use, right? So also that's what happened also here. I mean, when you try to analyze what happens in West Sumatra, if you use from that perspective, from the feminist perspective, of course, I mean, from the labor perspective, of, of course, then you will see that on that you know on that sense, but. According to maybe if you try to understand what happens there, maybe he did not feel that way. I mean, right. So this is about because this kind of perspective happens in the well, let's say anthropological um, ground. You know, uh, that uh, that's uh, that is so. Yeah, again, it is so holistic. It is so. Uh, it's not that easy to understand. That's actually one of the uh, one. That's, I mean, this kind of situation explains why McLean-Pond only chose to discuss about structure and then why Thomas Kasten only, you know, tried to discuss about spatial arrangement without going too deep or, or, or even try to really understand, to comprehend why Japanese, uh, I mean, did that in the first place, you know, because they were not Japanese and they... They tried to be one, but I think they, they they still couldn't be because they didn't. I mean, because I mean, it is it is not just about the knowledge that you could remember. You, you I mean you remember or you you know practice in a practical way, but you need to be like you said, embodied the knowledge. You need to be there, right? You need to be there. You need to be part of them. So and then you can under and then by then you could 
you could begin to comprehend what happens even though probably you could you 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 will you wouldn't be able to explain that 100% i mean i mean there are cases even even among them even like say about japanese japanese or balinese for instance even among balinese japanese even among them not all could really comprehend this japanese concept about everyday life practice or even about the the life or even about the the, the culture mm-hmm. so yeah i mean uh, uh, again i mean this is a very complicated well not complicated but it's a complex uh, uh, discussion i mean but but uh, why i'm i mean trying to i mean explaining this because it is very dangerous when you try to respond this uh, kind of noise from a very using different perspective because it's always be of course it will be conflicting yeah because the way the nature we we tend to analyze things as you said we tend to use this epistemic way because that's the way we you know we have been taught so far you know you know about the labor about the capitalistic nature of labor about the you know the the exchange you know transactional things of you know maybe you know whatever your yeah, worse labor knowledge so on and so forth mm-hmm. so yeah so i think this uh, we need to be very critical about that interesting um just to kind of conclude here maybe with a um a question um given the complex nature of the discussion and about on perspective Um, recently I read, not recently, a couple uh, years ago actually, I read a piece uh, about, uh, in Indonesian it's called Tubuh Moral dan Jiwa Zaman by John Kuto in Harian Kompas. Uh, the same kind of dilemma in a Balinese village where up until the 1980s, uh, the body was seen as something that is uh mm-hmm. natural yeah. right so it was there was yeah. an innocence uh and in some r- b- uh, rural balinese village uh women uh were merely wearing sarungs or yeah um, yeah you know. yeah yeah and modern discourse on the body uh entered through sorry discourse on the body entered through modern media which changes the uh uh understanding of uh the the body as uh having agency itself but for some certain groups it was reinterpreted the other way and uh that itself was instrumentalized for the sake of uh controlling bodies right um this is where you have um how outside perspective uh actually benefits the way we understand um our own agencies as uh our own agencies but at the same time how it can also be reinterpreted in um instrumentalized in a different way so how would you um reconcile that i mean how does How do you navigate that? I guess. So basically, it's going back. This question actually is going back between how to negotiate or how to navigate between this 
a tension of you know between metis and uh, epistemal. Yeah. Can can I say that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. I mean, like. Uh, I always believe it. It depends on how we rely on the capitalistic system. I mean, if we are. So it's going back to the economy actually. I mean, for instance, like the all the traditional community that lost or even getting lost their Mathis knowledge, it's also it usually due to their uh, a dependency to this capitalistic, you know, system. You know, so when the trading came, everything, I mean this because maybe in the past they only use, you know, the way they 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 you know they they acquire things by exchange you know one goods to another, you know not using money. So when the money is introduced to them and then they understand about the the how money is used and then the trading started to you know happening, and then using money and then you know the and then yeah and then yes and of course everything then is structuralized everything 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 needs to be uh, let's say. Uh, have their own currency, you know. The concept of currency is then introduced, right? So it. So I always believe if we can resist that, we can say that no, no, we can be you know independent. We can have our own system of economy. We can we can be independent and not not to be not dependent on this kind of uh, capitalistic way of trading or exchanging things then we can also maintain our you know mm-hmm. so to speak methods right. uh, culture and actually there's one example in java maybe you know uh, it's actually uh, an initiative um, in a well he he designed a, a bamboo bicycle uh, maybe you yes. remember the name yeah. Spedagi, he... yeah, yeah. I mean, well, this product designer established a traditional yeah. market very close to his village, and then what the thing that is interesting in this endeavor is actually he he promotes the villager not using money in that market. Right? Is it called pasar papringan? Yeah, exactly. So that's actually one of the enterprise how to actually compromise. You know. The system. So by isolating the village, by isolating the the ecosystem, you know, and having their own ecosystem, that's actually quite you know very. I mean, quite. I mean, by 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 building a very good a strong ecosystem, they can have this assistance. I mean, right. And you know, to this uh, capitalistic you know economy outside their village, because I mean. I think the good things of the village. I mean, I mean the village or the villagers. They don't have. They do not have, you know, so many. Let's say uh, needs, you know, or demands. They just want to live there. You know, every as long as they live, they have enough foods, and then they can, you know, do activities, everyday activities, happily without any problem. That's it. I mean, I mean mm. that's why. I mean, I think. Consumerism is not there yet, and that's something that actually this product designer try to protect them from. From mm-hmm. you know, so I think that's uh, that's my response. I don't know whether this uh, would be a, a, 
a proper response, but I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, thank you. I, um, yes, uh, I guess any last words of uh, wisdom moving forward for an architecture student? Uh... Yeah, I think, I think maybe it's not really about my the subject that we are discussing, but maybe it's just about what the situation that we are having right now. I mean, uh, uh, the situation right now is actually so different with the situation that maybe I ha- I had maybe 20 years ago when I studied in my undergrad. I mean, like in 80s or in 90s, the the struggle is was always about finding choices. You know, we didn't have many cho- options like uh, back then. When we we studied, we went to school. Just I mean. Uh, just because we would like to have more choices, you know, even, either for work or for live or living, right? But the current situation, I think, was completely different, or maybe the opposite of what I had. I mean, in nineties or eighties, I mean, what we have right now was uh, is there are so many options, there are so many choices, you know. So what we need right now is, you know. Criticality, I mean, criticism to what mm-hmm. we are having or what we are facing right now because, or I mean, the, the economy that right now, or maybe the way we do things right now is already around us. We cannot escape from it. We are in it. So the only way to navigate or even, yeah, we cannot escape, but we can navigate. We can, we can you know, find our way in a safe, you know, let's say to find a safe way to, to, to do this journey, I mean, mm-hmm. by critical, critically see things, you know, decide things and think about things. I think that's probably the most important value right now that we need to be, okay. you know, to be, you know, um, fine or, yeah, collect. Okay, great. That was great. Thank you, David, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Reflecting back on our discussion, while it seems impossible to penetrate through capitalist forces due to our dependence on global trade, there are perhaps opportunities and possibilities to intervene by rethinking new ways of building and reinventing new ways of making by practicing metis and embracing this form of knowledge as a learning process through embodiment, intuition, and observation as a counterforce to the ways in which the epistem operates. Most importantly, to situate this in a longer time frame, possibly creating a new language that does not speak the language of global currency, but one that is based on relations rather than transactions. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to check out our show notes for further references and material.